It is good to gather and see all your faces. It is uh, absolutely um, a grateful, grateful feeling to be back in person and see a lot of you, um, to be with a body God that I trust, that I know really well. Um, you may not know me, but um, I should change a little bit today. So I'm thankful to see all your faces, many, many more than I expected. So that's, <laughs> y'all know how to show out. My name is Derek. My family and I, we live here in Logan Square. Um, we live in Sacramento on diversity. Uh, my wife, Ashley, and I have three little kids, uh, Wiley, Wynn, and Weston. Uh, yep, all three W's. Um, it didn't start that way, uh, but nonetheless, here we are. We've been in Church in the Square since 2016. Um, I currently serve as a deacon. Like Aaron mentioned last week, uh, I'm in the process that by God's grace, man, and elder, eldership. With that being said, uh, we have a membership class at the end of the month set up to dialogue with Aaron and myself about that process, to ask questions, um, and to hear from you members. Um, lastly, if uh, you have any questions or concerns about the sermon today, please email me at jason at churchinthesquare.com. <laughs> Jason's our lead pastor for if you're new, so that's a little tongue-in-cheek. Uh, I'm Derek at Church in the Square if, if you really want to reach out to me. Uh, we'll be in Romans 8, 28, 30 today, which is our 78th installment into the book of Romans. Uh, we're essentially halfway through Paul's letter. Uh, for some of you, that may be an amen. Others, that may be a deep breath. Um, this pace has shown me much about learning God's word at a pace that's much different than likely the majority of us are accustomed to, both on Sundays as well in my life. We're inundated with content choices, productivity, decisions, problems, made-up problems, sin, city life, pandemic, ever-changing guidelines, welcome back, and the overarching modern cadence to life in 2020. So deep breath, me too. Today we're only going to talk about two verses, and it's absolutely enough. It's bountiful in God's character, it's rich in beauty, it's full of love, um, a love that I still struggle to believe is actually real. Just before we hear Paul's verses today, let's take a short look at where we've been. This might drive some of you nuts, but it is really good to go back. Um, open your Bibles or however you get there to Romans 8. Look at the headings within the chapter. I find this to be a quick way to remember on Sundays kind of where we've been, give some context to the verse that we're going to learn about today. So if you look at the ESV headings, that's what we'll work out of. Um, we work out of ESV, praise God. Um, and under Romans chapter 8, you'll see the following. Life in the Spirit, heirs with Christ, and future glory. The first heading is life in the Spirit. What Paul is writing in these verses is that Jesus came to defeat sin of the flesh, and he left us with the Holy Spirit that dwells within believers' bodies then and now. Because of this, we have life to live in the Spirit. This also reminds us that he's speaking to believers or fellow brothers and sisters, likely both Jews and Gentiles. A Gentile would be anyone that would not have been Jewish. The second heading is heirs with Christ. Paul starts verse 12 with so, meaning if we have life in the spirit, then we must walk by the spirit and put flesh to death, and that we are adopted sons and daughters or children to the living God and fellow heirs with Christ. And thirdly, what we'll learn today in verse 29 and 30 is future glory. It's explicitly clear in Paul's writing that we fellow heirs have been, are now, and will continue to experience suffering as we wait. 
but the Holy Spirit, or I like to call the helper, is interceding for us to the Father and has been since the beginning of time. So that's where we've been. Now for today's text, Romans 8, 29 through 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the first among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Amen? Let me pray. God, this is our verse today. God, this is what we desire to learn from you. God, um, let the text teach itself. Lord God, let this time um, make us more like Jesus. Help me and help us. Amen. I didn't grow up in church, meaning my folks didn't take me every weekend or much at all to learn about Jesus. We didn't seek the Lord at home through decisions, through relationships, during good or during bad. We did it ourselves. Presumably, the Nebraska-located Schmidgalls seemingly held it all together by choice, by hard work, by good values, and what we thought was deep, unconditional love. For sure, there was true human love, parent-to-child love, sister-to-brother, brother-to-sister love within our home. But a love like Jesus offers was foreign and frankly unimaginable. The most identity-defining part of not hearing the gospel in my home was learning and fully believing that I, Derek, can create my own way forward. I can manifest anything that I want to be today. I think that's a popular thing now. That I, Derek, can God over my life, can save myself. In short, I'm the only God I need. And within that mindset of self-governing, all love is linked to production, better thans, success, And the biggest lie of them all, glory. This context of my life has proved the Lord works in ways our feeble minds will never fully understand nor grasp. Why do I say that? This text was given to me not by my own choosing. The Lord orchestrated an infinite amount, an infinite amount of decisions for me to teach today, February 13th, in a multiple year Roman study. After I have three children, by God's grace, and after years of struggle, disbelief, and disobedience, and where Derek can achieve glory from our text today, Romans 8, 29, and 30. I'll do my best to thread the needle, but I've questioned the truth of predestination and choice for years with my wife, with my group, frankly, with anyone that's willing to engage me in this topic. So let's jump in. I'm in sales. Bearing the lead never works. Trust me. If you're in sales, come holler at me. I'll tell you why. But nonetheless, here's our outline. Uh, Lastly, I'm extremely linear. Um, Talk to my wife if you have any questions about that. Romans 8, 29 and 30. So the big idea is we are secure in Jesus, not ourselves, period. So first, I'd like to explain salvation through five words. Foreknowledge, predestination, predestined, called, justified, glorified. God's foreknowledge of you before the beginning of time. God predestined you to become like himself. God called you into his family. God justified you through faith alone. And only God can be glorified by conforming his people to be like Jesus. Second, why are we conformed to be like Jesus? And lastly, we'll look at our sonship and daughtership in Jesus. The way these two verses, 29 and 30, are structured grammatically, we can tell it's what is called a chasm in the language that Jason told me that. Just to be clear. (laughs) There's a lot of reading, but some of that stuff is, you know, seminary stuff. 
What that means in Greek is that the sentence structure highlights or puts the most attention on the middle thoughts, meaning the most important part of these two verses together in are in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers or to be conformed like Jesus. So essentially the verses work in like a greater than sign. You're working down to the most important and you're working back up. Unfortunately, the English language just isn't good enough. So in the first part of this text, we read, for those whom he foreknew. A good working definition of foreknowledge from one theologian, which I've summarized, is the knowledge of a loving, saving relationship in the future. See, where my mind immediately heads to his choice or free will. Deep breath. We'll get there. What foreknowledge means for us is that it puts us all here today, here virtually, our families, our friends, our parents, our grandparents, the Apostle Paul, King David, the Prophet Moses, Adam and Eve, all in the exact same starting place. That starting place is pre-creation, pre-birth, pre-choice, and pre-works for all of us. The Lord foreknew you, brother and sister, first. In all of God's rich love and story, he did not leave his people up to human choice. That's good. Next we read, he also predestined. Predestination has a unique sting in my mortal body. At first, just reading it aloud is a touch cringy. It just feels like it takes more than it gives before I was even born. At times, this is the problem with feelings, for sure. My wife's a therapist. Feelings, emotions, the wave of uncomfortableness you get when you hear something out of step from your identity are real, for sure. But what I constantly need to remind myself about those feels are at baseline broken because I'm human. So let's say it again, predestination. It doesn't steal anything. It does the exact opposite. It gives us the correct view of a loving God who has us. And as Tim Keller puts it, sets a direction for us to be with him in glory, conformed to the likeness of Christ. This simply states that there is a plan or destination for you, son or daughter of God. Paul then writes, and those whom he predestined, he also called. There's a ton of hope in this part of the text. This is not a calling meaning this isn't a moment in your story or mine that says, I'm feeling called to the house of God. It's not a you or me thing. I tend to put such a modern twist in the Bible. This calling is not like, I feel called to move here or there, or I feel called to stay here or there, or I feel called to stay in active sin because it's part of my identity, or I'm called to my followers to curate perfectly imperfect content even though it doesn't represent the family I was called into. This calling is a welcoming into a family, a summoning into fellowship that is not left into your hands, a calling of saints, or like Peter says in 1 Peter 2.9, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a, nation, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Next, Paul writes, And for those whom he called, he also justifies. See, this is where I usually come off the hinges because it leaves no room for King Derek, the God of his life, to find righteousness in himself. Justification says this, says you, brother, you, sister, you're saved solely based on faith alone and that in an instant your sins, brokenness, and disobedient acts were nailed to the cross. And when our heavenly father looks at us, his people, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ 
This is really, really good news for me. Can you imagine if the Lord of the universe left his family to earn or do work for their justification, to have to grind it out, to be good enough for God who created everything? Justification is the immediate pronouncement of righteousness, which directly results from God's predestination and calling. Lastly, Paul says, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. So here's the promise. We will one day be made new in deathless, sinless, painless bodies and our souls in fullness with the Father in heaven. Paul says this with complete and utter matter-of-factness, that this has already been sealed. The tense here is in the future, but already accomplished. He also glorified. my middle kid. Love you, Winnie. Love you so much. This is in the future, but also accomplished. So he is glorified, period. I saw that from Keller's commentary. Um, He says it just so clearly. So this promise, this future promise, that, mind you, is done. It's finished. Gives us the framework, the guardrails, and the lens for the way we should live our lives today. You are justified in an instance but also glorified, which happens over a lifetime. Paul articulates articulate this well in Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this. He who began a work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? At the end of verse 29, Paul writes, to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So this is the framework. This is the guardrails. This is the lens in which we should see and live in today. Jesus Christ. All the trivia, all the verbiage we just learned, just came through all those five words, comes through and shines out in a process of conforming to the likeness of Jesus. We find ourselves nestled with Jesus all along the way. Not by ourselves just trying harder. Not by ourselves just willing harder, willing stronger, hoping harder. We will be brothers with Jesus and receive the very nature of God himself in our hearts while we are being sanctified. Paul says in this, to be conformed, to be, meaning active, living, ongoing, walking, and breathing the lifeblood of Jesus into our very beings. So we may find fullness of King Jesus in our lives today, fullness in ourself in this life, fullness in our works in this life, Fullness in our desires in this life. Fullness in our relationships in this life. So here I am, preaching today on salvation. And what Paul so gracefully does is he leaves no room for me, King Derek, to steal any glory from our Father in heaven. My becoming a child of God has nothing to do with me, but I so badly want to be the one who chose to follow Christ. I want folks to look at the wreckage in my life that I'm accountable for and say, but look, now Derek's on a righteous path and that I can steal God's redemptive glory in that. For my good, what Romans does, Romans 8, 29, 30 does, is it puts me, Derek, or self to death each day and tells us we are not choosers, we are children. We didn't pick. You were born into a family of the living God. My children, Wiley, Wynn, and Wesson, had no choice which family would take them home. They were given to us. 
Ask United, shepherd and disciple in the likeness of Christ. There's only one argument, belief, or distinction between humans choosing a family and eternal family we call believers, and that's that we are children of God, not a bunch of people who made the right choice. God secured his people before they had a chance to mess it all up. God didn't leave my brokenness and yours to be the measuring stick for grace. He set out before all of us and said, child, you are mine. You're my son. You're my daughter. I got you. Church, one of the whispered beauties in this text that I want to make sure is blatantly clear, and if this is the only thing you plan to remember, to listen to right now as you're chasing kids, Nana, or 10 minutes before you head into group this week, is that these two verses, within these two verses, God's presence, care, and love shows up. He first foreknew us. After he foreknew us, he predestined us. After he predestined us, he called us. After he called us, he justified us. After he justified us, he glorified us. No missteps. No room for error. Meaning there wasn't a chance. He deeply desires his people to be in a relationship that he started with you. He is walking with you and will end with you. Your security has nothing to do with you. And this is that first point. With your wealth, with your followers, with your earthly family, with your job, with your body, with your children, with your wardrobe, with your next vacation, with your bank account, with your knowledge of this text, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Father in heaven, and the Spirit of the living God secured you before the beginning of time and adopted you into a holy family that is being used outwardly to shine a light of glory of what is to come when King Jesus the God of the universe comes back to reign here on earth where we, fellow citizens, will live without toil, plight, or sin in the fullness of our Father. So to finish, let's go to Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. Some of you know this really well. You don't have to go there. Some of you may not. Um, Jesus always has a way of saying things with much more clarity and much less words than I do. Luke 15, 11 through 24. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went out and hired him. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he, the younger son, was longing to be fed with pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He felt compassion. He ran. He embraced and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put a ring on him, 
his shoes, his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was not lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Looking at the younger son in this story gives us a definition and visual of sonship and daughtership. You see, the younger son's first instinct was to believe he's no longer loved. He's no longer worthy. He's no longer a son. He explicitly says that in verse 19. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I believe this lie almost every day, that I'm not worthy of sonship. Not worthy enough for my wife. Not worthy enough for my children. Not worthy enough to be up here. If you've ever found yourself in that spiral, listen now. Your worthiness, more importantly, security isn't defined by you. It's defined by our Father in heaven. Luke shows us that sonship and daughtership revealed by the Father in this parable is defined by the Father. He was still his son and pre-existed the... He was still his son and pre-existed the son's sin and pre-existed his choices. So I say to you that the Father's love for you has outlasted your sin, has outlasted your triumphs, and will outlast all of creation. Because in our sonship and daughtership, our heavenly Father's love is displayed in the foreknowledge of a saving relationship, displayed in the calling he made to you, displayed with the predestined plan for you, displayed through justification and the pronouncement of righteousness. And finally, the Father's love is displayed as he conforms his family to become like himself, like Jesus Christ, so that his love may reign on the day of glory. Let me pray. I'm thankful, God, that it wasn't up to me to call you Lord, that before I was a whisper in anyone's mind, God, that you secured me. To be sure, there's a lot wrapped in that, God. But there's also a lot of hope. There's a ton of peace. And there's a ton of identity in that, God. I pray, Lord, for this text, that what was heard here today, God, be of you and of truth. But let us remember as we walk away here today where our security lands, where our worthiness sits, where we look to ourselves and say, God, is that me or is that you? Let it all fall and say, God, shine through me and let me live and do a work, Lord, that you have called me to, that you set out before the beginning of time and sealed. Let us rest in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.